This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Claire Bonneman. And I'm Mindari Wall. And welcome to The Loop. Min, how long have you been in your current neighborhood? We have been there, I think we're coming up on 13 years Ooh, this summer. Okay. Yeah. I mean, 13 years is a, is a while. It is a while. Talk to me about changes. What? How has it grown? Has it changed? Yes. I don't know if it's changed all that much, but it has grown. There's mm. a, you know, K to, K to 9 school that kind of was, that was in there. That wasn't there when we first moved there, but yeah, yeah. Uh, has uh, since been established. And so there's that. And uh, as far as it changing, just kind of built out now, mm-hmm. it's down by the McTaggart Ravine. So yeah. the, the trails are a lot busier. Yeah, definitely. But no, no, it's a little slice of home in Southwest Edmonton. Well, as you mentioned, like there's there's shifts happening, right? Mm-hmm. There's growth. There's a lot happening across the city. So it's no surprise when you actually take a look at numbers and see just how fast it is that Edmonton is growing in population. Yeah. The 2021 census we had grew by like 7.3%, hit 1.42 million people. Um And current estimates show that we're still increasing year over by year around 2%. And, of course, that's not just the the core of Edmonton. We're talking about the larger community. Right. But that's also just not population numbers. Habits are changing, too. And growing technology and trends and COVID, of course, didn't Mm -hmm. really help that. And the way we plan out our spaces in the city is changing. And so is the way that we want to use them. And this is felt especially when we talk about malls, which... We've done a couple yeah. times on the podcast, but I, I'm curious how your habits have changed. Do you still go to malls? Are you still like a mall person? Well, you know, it's kind of weird because we work in a mall. We do. Unfortunately, a mall that has is a shell of its former self. I wish I could go shopping at lunch. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, when we first moved into this building, there was there was so many big tenants here. You know, yeah. I mean, the bay was a massive spot here. There was stores on every floor, mm-hmm. and um, you know, there was malls across the way and Manu Life as well. But uh, that has all evaporated. So. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's winners now, and that's it, which yes. is kind of weird, right? So for uh, for me on the south side, if I ever need to go to a mall, it's usually Southgate mm-hmm. or South Common. Although I find that that is also kind of hit and miss now with yeah. the kinds of stores that are there. And uh, you know, I'm on the road a lot because uh, the kids have soccer, and so sometimes if we're on the north side, will there'll be a practice near Londonderry? So yep. that's a pretty established mall. I would go in say and grab a couple in the things. City. Yeah, if yeah. you need something, you go in there and grab it. But for the most part, habits I'd say have changed a lot more online. Yeah, uh, things happen online a lot more now, and so uh, that's certainly one of the things um, that I've noticed has, has changed as far as retail habits go. Yeah, and when it comes to groceries, for a while we did try uh, just buying something. Uh, like using, you know, Walmart or Costco or one of the grocery places to get stuff online, Superstore. Yeah, like a pickup kind of thing? Yeah, pickup, like just go online and click off a bunch of things because it's, you know, 90% of the time it's the same kind of stuff that we need with a couple of different uh, things added in. Yeah. But uh, for the most part, I we I go to co- I go to Costco or I go to the grocery store, whether it's Superstore. Yeah. And, so um, lots of in person stuff. Yeah, lots of in person stuff. I want to pick my apples. <laughs> yes, exactly. Sometimes you want to hold uh, whatever you're buying, right? Yeah, and it's it's those kind of retail shifts and habits. I think I don't know a single person who didn't try more online stuff right. uh, during the pandemic. But it has a lot of the smaller malls in Edmonton really working to try and redefine themselves in I this bet. new space. Um, and Edmonton, of course, is a city of malls, and I love a comeback story. So are you? <laughs> ready for my case study, Min. 
I am waiting with bated breath. <laughs> um, so basically, I got tired of hearing uh, malls are dead. Right. Um, which uh, we talked about. We see a lot of it every day here at City Center Mall. Yeah. Edmonton has a lot of these smaller community-focused shopping centers, and we touched on this. It's no surprise online shopping had a huge effect. More than 80% of Canadians are online shoppers, and that number has only really risen since COVID. So when you make the switch, some people just haven't gone back. So um, I wanted to see a physical retail space, one of these smaller ones, to see how the ring hit. And I chose Bonnie Dune Center, which is conveniently one of my community shopping malls. That is a classic. It is, right? And I've been in there, and it's... It, it, all, it reminds me of a couple of other different malls in the city where, okay. which kind of had a similar vibe where they lost the big tenant mm-hmm. and then uh, they struggle. Right? Yes. And there's a lot of empty stores, but there are still some that are hanging on. Yeah. And uh, like I think of Bonnie Dune, I think of Millbourne Mall, I yes. think of Millwood's Town Center. Westmount. Westmount. Yeah. Absolutely. Same kind of vibe, right? So you lose the big tenant and then uh, it's kind of feast or famine. I mean, for a long time, malls have been a part of the city, right? 60s and 70s big was time. when really we had a ton. We talked about Heritage Mall on Heritage the podcast, mall. Yeah. of course. I worked at two different places in there, right? Yeah. And it was like the hub. And people at that time were thinking like, okay, Southgate is just five minutes up the road. Yeah. Why, why would you put a mall right here? But uh, that was the 80s. And malls were like, you could probably put, you could have put six up. That's where people went. It was like, yeah. uh, it was like fast times at Ridgemont High. Everybody <laughs> yeah. worked in a mall. It was like, the, it was the place to go, right? We've mm-hmm. mentioned quite a few of them. You know, you can think of places like Millwoods Town Center, Westmount Shopping Center. Yeah. Um, and, and they are all struggling with losing some of those big tenants. Mm. Um, our neighbors right here downtown, the Bay and Sport Check. Was it fun to go to the closing sale with yeah, quite a few deals for a while? Absolutely, it was. I mean, I, I know a lot of people, they talked about, you know, okay, it's 30% and then the mad dash was on. And yeah. and some of us joked about it here. Because, you know, when you work across from a store like that, really you know easy. how high their sales can go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I'm, I'm not going to hold back. But what we're left with after the sales yes. and all the deals is these empty spaces. So right. uh, Bonnie Dune Center, it's been there for almost 60 years. Uh, and I spoke to Tammy Abbott, who is the general manager for Bonnie Dune Center. Uh, getting through COVID was major for us. Um, everything changed. The way we do business changed. Um, we, we've had to evolve and become more unique. We've had to become innovative. We've had to look out of the box and bring new concepts to the plate. I mean, new concepts, that's a pretty broad term, right? I (laughs) mean, what are we talking about here? Yeah, Yeah, 100%. And um, it definitely does kind of include a whole bunch of options. Uh, Min, when you go to a mall, we talked about it a bit before, but what draws you in? What, What is your main purpose when you go there? I mean, now at at this stage in my life, (laughs) I'm talking like I'm 100 years old, but... (laughs) You know, when I was younger, it would probably be to go hang out, Yeah. right? You meet some friends, you go do a little shopping, mm-hmm. you kind of wander around the stores, but you're also hanging out. It's socializing. Yeah. And you go to the food court and you have, you know, a big slice of pizza and maybe some poutine or yeah. whatever. But but now it's kind of uh, what brings me into the mall is whatever store it is, I'm, I need something from, right? Yes, because that is the thing, right? Like when we shop a lot today, yeah. you're going in and you're going to buy a certain item yeah. and you know what store you're headed to and you know what you're looking for. For sure. So when we look at a, a mall like Bonnie Dune, uh, it's a matter of uniqueness. They're really trying to attract people now to something different with these new concepts Cool. because they have a Safeway as an anchor store. That's and right. of course, you can enter that from outside and not go into the mall itself. So that's always a busy hub. I've been to it and, it, and it's been uh, renovated 
updated and yeah. it's all modern and looks amazing. And then on the north end, they have a private college. So you get students coming through. There's also the bowling lanes, which have been there since, you know, before the mall was even a closed <laughs> mall. And then of their 100 or so tenants, it's unique shops, it's boutiques, it's mom and pops. Mm. Um, and now they're coping with a changing demographic as well. So lots of younger families right. are moving into what's been, you know, an older neighborhood. So if you have kids and you're running an errand and you're like, I need to go buy a white T-shirt for my kid. We're going to go to Old Navy. You know, you're not going to go to Bonnie Doon. So instead, Tammy is now looking to add some of their already unique tenants and, and kind of build it up with more of these kind of experiences. We've got our train collectors club. We've got um, very unique retailers like Mooney Beauty, who's uh, a lady from Egypt who actually has her own uh, line of cosmetics that she's selling in our center. Well, we can't do anything traditional. Everything should be different. And we are truly thinking out of the box and thinking about what's going to make a customer want to stick around a little bit longer. Um, we've done things for sustainability. We have we grow vegetables in our shopping center in our storefront that we give to the mustard seed and youth emergency shelter. Um, we've got a nice rink outside that we run over the winter time to attract families to our center. Okay, I did not know that. Yeah, a lot of these kind of best kept secrets, right? Um, I did get to see it firsthand. I went to the mall on the first day of their Night of Artists weekend. So um, picture an art walk like Strathern or White Ave, sure. but totally inside. 106 artists were set up. They lined the mall, and I saw lots of people coming through looking at work, talking Incredible. to artists. And the people organizing this weekend also have a full time gallery space in the mall that actually opened in December. So I spoke to Phil Ellen. He's the founder and producer of Night of Artists. Um, and he basically talked about bringing a community gallery into this mall space. I think I think what's happened is we've shifted to the instant uh, instant shopping and uh, run in run out. We, we've lost our connection to neighbors, um, where we we uh, we just run in and out of everything. We shop online, etc. And malls were where communities got together. It's a place where you can wander around. It's more of a casual experience. It, it slows people down, and and I think we need more where people stop and smell the roses or stop and look at the art. I mean, you talked about hanging out in the yeah. mall back in the day. We've all seen 80s movies. You know, yes. we know what it used to be like. Yeah. Phil actually used this really interesting comparison of Granville Island as, as okay. something to aspire to, right? More of a place that you go to hang out. You go for a snack mm-hmm. or a drink or to check something out than, you know, going in to buy a specific item. And I think uh, one of the interesting terms Phil used there was to slow people down. Yes. Right. And uh, I mean, when I think of Bonnie Dune, I think of Ghost Town from back in the day when, yeah. when, you know, it was kind of going through its growing pains and losing big tenants. But now it sounds like it's vibrant, so which is amazing. And they're actually kind of changing with the way the community around them is changing. So mm-hmm. it's great to see them that they're not giving up on it. And, um, and arts definitely is having a moment yeah. to, no matter where you are in the city. So I wonder what uh, other kinds of interesting tenants they have out there. I'm sure you... You dug a little deeper. (laughs) Well, there's definitely some that are um, out of the norm, if you will, a little less common. Uh, Here's a hint. I want to see if you can guess what it is. Does that conjure up any images? Uh, It kind of reminds me of being 10 or 11. (laughs) What were you doing when you were 10 or 11? Maybe trying to convince my dad to... Just let me please get a remote-controlled car from Radio Shack. Ding, ding, ding. Just like the big <laughs> Ford F-150, Dad, and, I'll, and I won't take it into the mud or the water. 
<laughs> and did, waste your $51 or whatever it was. Did you end up ever getting a Ford F-150? I don't know if I got the truck no? per se, but okay. I did get a, I, did, I do remember having like a little car and the, and, and it took like eight <laughs> batteries and the, and the handset took like seven batteries and yeah, it, yeah. it was ridiculous, but yeah. Well, man, now you can, a right of you can relive. You can go back and get that truck. Um, no way. Yes, you guessed correctly. This is the sound of Radio Control Racers Edmonton. It's actually a not-for-profit RC racing club. Cool. They're now in the space in Bonnie Dune where Pela Shoes once was. Um, they actually have a, a, a small indoor racetrack in the mall. It's very funny. Genius. Yeah, it's totally open. So as you're walking past, you can see it. And um, the guy I met, Randy Van, is usually there just having a car jump around, do kind of tricks, jumping off things. Lunge. It's it's really quite fun. So Randy is the president of RC Racers Edmonton. And when I spoke to him, he emphasized the benefits of this new spot for both parties. What you What we want is to grow attention to the hobby, right? Because us old guys, are few and far between that are really the guys that carried the hobby through for a lot of years. The young faces that are seeing this, they're standing there watching the cars, and then next thing you know, they're go getting themselves something new. It's been great for the community. Everybody uh, that lives close to the mall is coming just to watch races, if nothing else. So now, you figure, it gives a food court business, right? Gives a little more foot traffic and exposure that way. Like, oh my goodness. So Randy could probably hook you up with a a Ford F-150. Take me down memory lane. (laughs) Exactly. And he actually said that they ended up in the mall by accident. They were looking for just an inside track for for wintertime races. Of course. Um, And they have this massive dirt track out in Spruce Grove. But now they just kind of ended up in the mall and people are totally stopping to check it out. They're bringing a lot of folks on the weekends to watch these races. So it's it's definitely eye-catching. And I mean, my only question would be, they are non-for-profit. So, I mean, it all sounds fun and, and good and everything, but, uh, you know, this is, a, this is a mall and tenants have to pay rent. And I'm <laughs> yes. sure that's like, that's like the number one priority. What, what's happening on the shopping side of things? I mean, are, are these other places kind of attracting other tenants in? So there's definitely been a shifting awareness, even if your primary function is sales. I went to visit Rocks. They sell semi-precious stones, fossils, artwork. They've got a pretty big space in okay. the Bonnie Dune Center, and they've been there for 17 years. And no surprise, the pandemic was super quiet. Recently, though, they've actually been making record sales. Are they? And they're right beside the Gucci store? <laughs> yeah, in between St. Laurent, Gucci. Louis uh, and Gucci. The Bougie Row. Um, no, I mean, part of that actually, uh, they say that it comes from an increase in social media. They have this awesome okay. staff that works to share it online. Um, but they don't sell online. People have to come to the store. And right. so something else that they think helps is just that kind of connecting with their audience. Jacqueline Bercy is part owner. She's seeing this kind of shift towards interaction and and being more personal with customers. It's one of the reasons that she thinks they're doing so well. Shopping experiences are changing. If you want to keep people coming versus shopping online, you have to have different sorts of draws now because shopping online definitely is the easier choice. Um, But I think we need to go back more to that human connection, connecting with people. That's really, really important, especially post-COVID. You know, the regulars, some people literally just come to kind of hang out. Malls are starting to become more of a a hub for community in a way because people are looking for those connections again. Makes sense. Yeah. We're We're going back, right? And we're going back. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of nostalgia that's kind of at play these days. And we are a city where seven months of the year... It's cold. It's there's not a whole like. Can you get just 
hole up in your house? Like it's no. not normal. Jacqueline told me it's about that acceptance that like it's more than a financial interaction. Mm-hmm. If people come in person, you know, or have to come in person in some cases, they're looking for a connection. It's something that they're really focusing on. And it rocks. It's clearly yeah. working. I applaud that for sure, because I think some of that has been lost. Mm. And I think the pandemic certainly had an impact on that. Right. Yeah. They, for some people, they just kind of went into their own little shell and, and it's going to take work to bring them out of that shell. 100 percent. So that is great. That's great to that's great to hear, right? And uh, and obviously, as we talk about changing malls and public spaces, I think you, you can't talk about Bonnie Dune without talking about the LRT. No, it is like a new tenant for them, right? Outside, 100%. and uh, I think it's going to have an impact on on changing the city in a number of different ways. I wonder what it means for them all. Yeah. Well, I mean, talk about a new tenant. They invested. Um, Bonnie Dune invested $2 million into a transit plaza. So the Valley Line LRT is something they're banking on. They want to bring in more people who might not doorstep. be driving to the mall. Exactly. Yeah. That yeah. access, right? And increasing connections, too. So so that's mm. part of the push to make the mall distinct, right. uh, is to make sure that they're not just another stop, that maybe they're a stop that people want to get off on so they can go check out some of these more interesting things or go skating. That would be great. I mean, five years from now, it would be great if people were like, well, I got to jump on the train to get to Bonnie Dune. Exactly. And yeah, it's one of the reasons that Tammy's pretty adamant that um, despite the mall seeming, you know, very quiet yeah. these days, yeah. that that original thesis of the malls are dead um, is, is wrong. She says the malls are all right. They're just adapting to this very new retail landscape. And I think that's something that Makes we're sense. seeing across the city. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of these private groups are trying to stay relevant, connect with their audience and their community. Um, and of course, make sure everyone gets to radio control racing. So. It's impossible to miss all the changes happening in the city, whether years in the making or just really sped up from the pandemic. There's big shifts in the spaces that we use and what we want out of them. Jason Civicsay is Edmonton Metro's Director of Metro Strategy and Advocacy at the Urban Development Institute. And he's a national award-winning registered professional planner. And he joins me now for The Loop. Hello, Jason. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Of course. Edmonton's undergoing a lot of change. As an urban planner, what do you see as our biggest challenge or challenges right now? You know what? Um, as a planner, what's really exciting is Edmonton is at the forefront where, you know, the city is seen as a national leader uh, when it comes to um, zoning and land use policy. There's been, you know, for the urban nerds out there, there's been a lot of great strides that the city has made. Uh, one of them is updating its zoning bylaw to be able to um, allow developments to happen more quickly. Um, and that's, you know, that's a big uh, conversation nationally is being able to increase our housing supply. So if our rules and our regulations are more permissible, um, we can start to see more of those developments happen quicker and faster so that we can actually attract more people here, more jobs and more investment. So that's like on the technical side. But I think Edmonton as a city, because I'm from Winnipeg, you know, when we attract people here, we also need great spaces and places for people to live. So I think Edmonton's been doing a really great job of trying to think about the future and what what their communities look like. And some, some of the big strategies that are sort of on the go right now is this idea of a community of communities. So being able to have the things that people need and care about in in their local communities. So being able to live more locally. You know, what do we need to do our, to our places and spaces to be able to accommodate them and also to meet their needs? Uh, and also ensuring that where people live, there is access to all the different amenities, amenities and services that would allow them to, to live very full lives. 
I mean, when we talk about access to amenities and services, I don't want to use the term 15-minute cities because it's been co-opted. <laughs> but do you see that growing uh, understanding of really just trying to meet people where they're at? Yeah, you know, and I, uh, you know, the, not diving into the conspiracies, <laughs> yeah. uh, a part of me is actually pretty excited that uh, there's so much interest and excitement in cities right now. Um, people are, and I think we can take that attention and that engagement and, and steward it towards good actions for our city. You know, it's pretty cool to think that people in Edmonton actually care about urban planning. It's not, uh, it's not a condition that is shared in, in many municipalities across Canada. I was just saying that I came from Winnipeg and the planning culture is not the same. Like not a lot of people actually understand what city planning is, um, what the words missing middle mean or intensification or even what the city plan is called. Like a lot of folks will often say, oh, that's the city planner's ideas. In Edmonton, there is a culture here where people love to call them city builders. So you could be a planner, you can be an engineer, you can be a developer, you can be a builder, you could be a member of the media, you can be a community member, a community league. All of those folks play a role as city builders. And I think that that's a really interesting term that city of Edmonton and, and people within Edmonton have adopted for themselves because it means that everybody wants to to create a great city and everybody wants to be part of uh, building it together. Obviously what comes with that is also the potential for debate, uh, different perspectives, different ways of seeing the issue, um, different ways of identifying different options. And I actually see that messiness as something that's quite beautiful is uh, being able to ensure that all those different stakeholders can come together and be open and honest. Um, and then, you know, the, the hard part is coming up with the ideas and the actions and then and moving it forward um, is easier when all those different groups are engaged and excited. Talking about that idea of the messiness and that energy, it's great when people have a ton of energy, but sometimes that can lead to some really hard conversations, sometimes on the off chance, a conspiracy theory, unfortunately. <laughs> but, you know, is it challenging to try and have those conversations in this day and age when there's so much opportunity for things to go one way or the other on the Internet? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this more than ever information and accurate information is critical. And I actually think that city planners and, and those who are working uh, in this space have a, a very critical role of being able to share information that people need um, and to also cultivate the discussion that's um, productive. I think we also need to be thinking about when we think about like online communication, which I actually think is pretty cool as well. Like one of the reasons why I moved from Winnipeg to Edmonton was I was actually pretty inspired by the openness of city government and using its social media accounts to invite people into the conversation. So that was pretty cool to see actually. But along with sort of those technical technological advances, there's always these unintended consequences, right? For every positive, there's always a negative there. So, you know, while we were using those tools to, to invite and create conversation, it also um, has that opposite effect potentially where it's privileging one group to take up that space right and to to dominate the conversation and then you know it becomes a bit more messy and people are often you know confused about what's what's happening what's moving forward um, but it also that whole sort of conversation around social media and sort of this taking up space uh, both virtually and in person really brings back to that question of you know um who are we building the city for and who's included in that conversation? Um, when you think about urban space, it's it's often under constant negotiation between 
of wide range of stakeholders and proprietors. And so for me, the key question is really, you know, to whom does urban space belong and who needs to be included? And um, we all have bias. We all have our own sets of perspectives. And I think that city planners have a role to play in thinking about who's on the t- who's at the table, who's missing, um, and how do we how do we build our plans and policies that bring together um, you know, those who, who might not be traditionally included in the conversation. In a city that is as diverse as Edmonton is, how hard is it to find what people actually need out of spaces and who may or may not be part of the conversation? Oh, it's so hard. Um, but I think this is actually where Edmonton is a, a leader when it comes to engagement. Um, the city of Edmonton created a charter around what engagement looks like and and sort of um, who needs to be included and when, uh, what conversations and decisions should they be part of. Um, I also feel like there is, is a pretty messy ecosystem of different organizations and associations. And my biggest question was, how does this all work? Like, how do all these groups come together? <laughs> you know, what's the shared vision? And, you know, there's a thousand city planners in Alberta. Um, there are politicians. There's the media. There's community leagues, which community leagues are actually kind of an interesting conversation point in that they don't really exist in any other Canadian context. Mm, so I yeah. think it's actually kind of cool that there's, you know, residents who are actively engaged in knowing what's happening in their community for better or worse sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes we, we all have the, the um, we often go into sort of being a bit of a nosy neighbor sometimes, and then that's all good. And uh, I see it all as a positive that, that there's all these groups that are actively engaged in wanting to to move things forward. And the plans and policies that the city has engaged the community on has really brought people together and convened them to, to ask, like, you know, if we attract this investment and we attract more people and more jobs, how do we make their lives better through housing, through public space, through transit equity, through different neighborhood investments, through also public participation? How do we keep their excitement and engagement and how we steward their ideas and perspectives forward? Public spaces and city planning, of course, is is a huge part of the conversation, but there's also a lot going on in, in other areas. We just spent the first half of this episode talking about malls and how they're kind of shifting to serve communities. I'm curious if you're noticing changes in the way that maybe private and commercial spaces are rethinking their role as we're sort of building this new city. You know, I think that sometimes city planners are indoctrinated to think that, you know, to be scared of the big bad developer, right? That like they're <laughs> yeah. that they're not adding to our plans and policies and moving them forward. But at the end of the day, like the developers are the ones who are actually building up our land. They're building the buildings and the residential spaces, the commercial spaces, the industrial spaces that people are using. So I like to sort of take a different approach, which is like how do you instill more public private sector collaboration? Uh, and it and it appears to me through my own sort of experience uh, working at the city of Edmonton and now working at UDI Edmonton Metro where we we represent the the, the developers and those who are associated with land development, there seems to be like a, a, a more concentrated effort for both public and private sector groups to come together to think about where we need to go, um, where the challenges are, where the barriers are, where the opportunities might lie ahead for us. Um, and so I think that actually is a very 
good positive thing that uh, that Edmonton has going for it. Uh, obviously, we can't agree on everything, uh, but <laughs> there is uh, a desire to be more open and honest and candid about that. Um, you know, your things like your downtown and your urban cores, when we started to see a hollowing out of those spaces to the suburbs, you know, you started to see more regional malls sort of being built outside of the core, right? And, you know, then you start to see like seas of, sea of parking and things like that. Um, and what we're seeing now, actually, um, in, in many Canadian cities is, is a lot of developers who are starting to think about their spaces in ways that can be rebuilt and uh, reimagined so that they can accommodate more people, more growth, uh, more investment. And so um, the idea of taking a, uh, a mall that perhaps isn't fulfilling or, or making the most efficient use of its space, now they're starting to build residential spaces on their, their parking you know, they're starting to think about um, how people can linger longer with the addition of public space that allows people to stay, whether it's like, you know, more seating, you know, even an ice rink or things like that that allow people to, to gather, being able to take over a space and have food trucks come out. Like mm-hmm. all of those ideas are, are really great. And I think a lot of developers are starting to think about how they do that so that they can welcome more people, welcome more investment and, and also add to the, the development of communities. Mm-hmm. We talked about the messiness of some of these debates and how it's just complicated it can be when there's so many voices at the table. But there's also kind of a value to this. I'm wondering if we look at the case of, say, 102nd Avenue downtown, which sparked a big debate, and you actually helped write an op-ed in the Edmonton Journal with Stephen Rates of Pass for People about it. Just about the value and maybe what kind of questions these hard conversations raise that can help us plan for a bigger and better future. The whole 102 Avenue conversation was... um it really pointed to the need for a bigger strategy for what the downtown should look like. So for that one particularly, it was sort of looking at one specific section of the downtown. But the bigger question was, how do we actually build uh, a vibrant downtown that accommodates um, mobility for all types of users? Um, and so while there was a lot of um, debate and um, a lot of great ideas on both sides and disagreements, it actually sparked a bigger conversation, which is, yeah, how do we how do we build a better downtown? How do we bring people back downtown? Um, so I thought actually was that was a really positive. We need to continue to build a respectful place for people to participate and engage. We, we want to be able to ensure that people feel that they can not only understand the issue and, and also uh, comfortably and confidently participate, uh, but I also think that we need to create space for people to uh, engage, agree, and agree to disagree. You know, one of my favorite visits uh, across the world is I went to Prague and there was a space called CAMP. It was called the Center for Architecture and Metropolitan Planning. And their whole mission and mandate was that we need to have um, – we need public jousting, and we need uh, <laughs> this idea of, you know, you start to think about how we want to encourage this tension because, you know, the best ideas come from tension and pressure and and, and having people feel open and honest. Um, we need to actually be more excited about all this energy because as a planner who nobody actually cares about planning most often, it's pretty cool to see people like actually talking about like a nerdy thing, like 15 minute districts. I mean, it sucks that it's become such a co-opted, like right wing, like conspiracy theory. But another part of me is like, Hey, people are talking about (laughs) this technical thing, like, which is a 15 minute district. So 
you know, other cities are doing it where they're thinking about their urban spaces as places where you can start to, they're tools, right? They're tools for engagement, they're tools for political and economic and social processes. So instead of shying away from it, I think it's it's more about diving right into it and, and thinking about how we can draw and leverage that excitement and interest, right? Um, and maybe it's because I just see more things from like an optimistic glass half full type of thing. But you know, city planning, city building is a marathon, you know, <laughs> like not everything's going to happen overnight. It's what's that end goal? What's that line of sight? And and then being able to be flexible and nimble to sort of adopt different approaches to, to ultimately get us closer um, to that final, that final lasting change. The Loop is a podcast from CBC Edmonton, and our team is Leslie Goldstone, Olivia O. Oh, Theme music, Change Your Mind, by Edmonton musician John Common. And I'm Mindari Wall. And I'm Claire Bonnyman. Thank you so much for listening. The Loop is recorded on Treaty 6 territory, traditional lands of First Nations and Métis communities. If you want to get in touch with us, you can send us an email. The Loop at cbc.ca. Find us on social media. I'm at Naminob Min. And I'm at Min Dariwal, all one word. If you want to uh, leave us a rating or review wherever you download the show, give her. Uh, and you can find us on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. Happy shopping, people. <laughs> Woo! For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.